Clarence Haskett, Clarence Haskett, or Fancy Clancy, as he is called by his fans, has been a beer vendor at Baltimore Orioles baseball games since 1974. Clancy's been selling beer since I was one year old. And over that time, Clancy has sold one million beers. That's a lot of brew. Recently, Clancy sat down with his friend and his co-worker, Jerry Collier, to tell his story and to talk about what makes him so successful at his craft. While Clancy, in the interview, claimed that it was his years of high school track and his ability to spin a good rhyme that made him wildly successful, his friend Clancy, his friend Jerry, excuse me, had a different idea of why Clancy was so successful at what he does. This is what he said. You know, Clancy, you epitomize to me and to so many people all that's right in the world. If it's a rainout at the Oriole game and you only sell two cases of beer, in the big scheme of life, it's not a problem. And I think that's more than the rhymes and all the rest. You're a larger-than-life person in so many ways. Clarence responds with an uncomfortable laugh, reluctant to take the compliment, and then he said this, Yeah, I can always go somewhere and get a free beer from somebody. I can go into a restaurant or a bar that I've never been in before. There's always somebody there who knows who I am. I heard this snippet of Clancy's story on this week's StoryCorps podcast. Since 2003, StoryCorps has sought to preserve and share stories in order to build connections between people and to build a more just and compassionate world. If you aren't a fan of podcasts, start with StoryCorps. They're short and sweet, and they will always, always lift your spirits. StoryCorps podcasts are full of grandchildren interviewing their grandparents, or adults talking with their grown-up parents or their grown-up children. Students are talking with their teachers or friends who've changed their lives, and strangers tell stories about how they've become lifelong friends. Now, while everybody who gets into the StoryCorps booze to record a story, while everyone there is enjoying themselves as they're talking, it's my impression that there's always one person in the booth, one person who's recording, who feels stronger than the other, that the story being told is one that needs to be heard. And they feel that way about the story because they know what we know. They know that some stories have power in them. They know that some stories can give hope to the hopeless, life to those overwhelmed by death, and a future to those who don't have one. The trouble is that these stories that pull life out of the shadows of death are often the stories we just don't make time to hear. Let's be honest, we're drawn to a different kind of story, a more sensational story, a more otherworldly story. We're drawn to stories where sports stars break the rules time and time again, where politicians cross the line time and time again, and where celebrities say and do outlandish things time and time again. And while entertaining and often pretty profitable, these stories do very little for those who hear them other than make them smile or perhaps groan. 
stories don't make all that much a difference. Fortunately for us and for the world, the Bible, our sacred text, is full of a different type of story, a different kind of story, stories full of hope and new life, stories with regular people dealing with regular things like you and me, stories like Tabitha's and Peter's, stories that have the power to change people's lives. You know this, but to be a widow in every century is to be forgotten. But that was especially true in first century. To be a widow back then was to be forgotten, cast aside. Widows tended to be poor on the bottom rung of the ladder of society without anyone to represent them or protect them. And it's to these forgotten outsiders, these cast-offs, that we are told the disciple, Tabitha, gives her very life. We don't know much about Tabitha, except that she was a disciple of Jesus Christ who was well known for her good works and her acts of charity. Chances are she was a wealthy woman, a wealthy woman of means who chose, who decided to use her privilege to help other people. For years, it appears, Tabitha cared for and listened to and looked after a group of widows in her town, creating a community centered around love and compassion that they were a part of. And then, as often happens, tragedy struck, and after a sickness, Tabitha dies. And her story, Tabitha's story, would have ended there if those who knew her best, those who worked alongside her, those who were cared by her, if they had not sent messengers off to Peter, urging him to come without delay. Long before he founded StoryCorps, David Isay made a documentary in 1990 called Tossing Away the Keys. It's a film about men serving life sentences in the Louisiana State Penitentiary in a town called Angola. When David interviewed inmates at the prison back in 1990, several of the guys he spoke with were serving, at the time, some of the longest sentences in the country, 30 or 40 years. They were all African-Americans, They were all sentenced before the civil rights movement, and almost all had pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty. What made their stories unique, however, was that a life sentence in the state of Louisiana, a life term in Louisiana, used to mean 10 years and 6 months. But in 1970, the state changed that to natural life. And when that happened, the men interviewed by Dave were in the 10th year of their sentences, which was supposed to be the last year they were in prison. But with one flick of the pen, one passage of a law, these men who thought they were about to be set free were now faced with the prospect of dying in that prison. One of the men interviewed was a guy named Maurice, inmate 75725. Maurice was a 72-year-old man who was in prison for killing two police officers, two cops, Two men who were also draggers for the KKK. After they shot Maurice in his home, he shot back and he killed both of them. During his interview, Maurice commented that being in prison for so long is like being buried alive. This is a graveyard, he says, a graveyard of time. It's like you don't exist. Everything around you is alive, but you can't touch it. You can only look. Maurice went on to share with the interviewers, with David, that 
One of the greatest fears of those serving life sentences in Angola was being buried on a place called Boo Hill. Boo Hill was the graveyard at the very edge of the property where inmates who died in the prison were buried for life. No one wants to die there, Maurice said, because when you're buried there, you're forgotten forever. What's it like to be forgotten forever? When these widows, who were forgotten by everyone but Tabitha and a few other disciples, beg Peter to come to them without delay, Peter does something amazing. He comes. He drops what he's doing. He's a busy guy. He stops what he's doing, and he goes. And when he gets there, he does something that's so simple that we overlook it so quickly. It's so simple yet so powerful. When Peter gets there, he listens. He listens to the widow's grief. He sits down and lets them show him piece of clothing after piece of clothing that Dorcas and Tabitha had made for them when she was alive. He takes time to listen and internalize Tabitha's amazing story. And as he does this, as he makes the space to listen to the story, something happens to Peter, something profound and earth-shattering. Peter starts to believe that he might have the power to raise Tabitha from the dead. Earlier this week, Maurice, inmate 75725, died at the age of 98. But I'm glad to report he didn't die in prison, and he was not buried on Boo Hill. Maurice's story did not end in Angola, because someone took the time to hear his story and then tell it to other people. After hearing Maurice's story in 1990, David Isay started looking closely at his case with a lawyer, which led him to embarking on a campaign to get Maurice released from prison. After hearing Maurice's story, David decided to share it with anyone who would listen, and it worked. Twenty years ago, on January 10, 1996, Maurice was released from Angola after nearly 40 years behind bars. Strange thing, on his last day of prison, they recorded the conversation between him and the warden in the, in the car that they drove from the prison to the prison gate. Here's the exchange. It begins with the warden speaking. Pop, look at the clock. 11.59. What? 11.59. About two minutes, huh? I'm going to set you free, Pop, in two minutes. That's right. I'm going to walk you up to that gate and make you sign a little piece of paper. I'm going to look you in the face. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to hug your neck and say you're a free man. Now I'm going to kiss the ground I walk on. There's the front gate, Pop. Sure is. How you feel, Pop? Great. You excited? I'm not excited yet. I'll be excited when I see the sunrise in the morning, when I lay down and nobody cuts the lights out on me until I get ready to get up in the morning. When I see the sunrise, then I'll be excited. I'm excited to a certain extent, but you wait till I can rise up and stretch in the morning and look out and take a walk. Look at the clock, Pop. One minute after 12. Let me out. 
please. After his release, Maurice lived another 20 years in California. He lived another 20 years with his wife, his daughter, his five grandchildren, and his 14 great-grandchildren. How do you resurrect people? You start by listening to their stories. But there's a second step, an important step that cannot be forgotten. After you hear their story, you have to share their story. For when we combine empathy with proclamation, when we combine listening with sharing, we unleash the power of resurrection. Just yesterday, Pope Francis and the spiritual leader of the world's Eastern Orthodox Church, Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew, now that's a title. (laughs) Pope Francis and Bartholomew visited the Maria refugee camp on the Greek island of Lesbos. Perhaps you saw the report. Speaking at the camp, Bartholomew bluntly reminded Europeans, quote, the world will be judged by the way it has treated you, and we will be accountable for the ways we respond to the crisis and conflict in the regions that you come from. And the line that got me, the Mediterranean Sea should not be a tomb. It shouldn't be another boo hill. Pope Francis, as you heard, was so moved by the stories he heard that day from the refugees, he decided to bring 12 of them back on his plane to the Vatican. Talk about life-changing. <laughs> when asked why he had done this, the Vatican released a simple statement. Quote, the Pope has desired to make a gesture of welcoming regarding refugees, end quote. Now, I'm sure there are some who is arguing it's a political stunt. I mean, saving 12 people is not going to change the calculus of what's happening in Europe. This is a complicated problem that requires complicated solutions. I'm sure some are saying that, that it's a scam, a gimmick. But I think there's a lot more going on here than three families being given a new lease on life. Because I am certain at the core of my being that every time the story of those 12 refugees is told, now, the days and the years to come, every time that story is told, someone, somewhere, will be inspired. Someone will hear it and be inspired to be more like Tabitha or Clancy or Pope Francis or Bartholomew or Maurice, and maybe even Jesus. I say that because stories like that have power. The challenge for us is making the time and the space to hear them because I'll tell you right now, if you are not intentional, if I am not intentional about listening to and responding to stories that have the power to resurrect people, the busyness of our lives, the lure of wealth and privilege, the lure of fame and fortune, and the myriad distractions we face every day, if we aren't intentional about it, those things are going to get in the way and they're going to distract us from unleashing the power of those stories. So I'll end with a simple question. Whose story is God calling you to listen to? Who is asking you, begging you to come without delay? Whose story is God calling you to tell? I'm asking because there is somebody right now in your orbit, some family, some friend, some relative, some community, some person, whose story has the power to make you believe, and others, 
that like Peter, you have the power to resurrect somebody from the dead. That you have that in you. Amen.